This is the Best of the Adam Gold Show podcast, brought to you by Coach Pete at Capital Financial Advisory Group. Visit us at CapitalFinancialUSA.com. Luke DeCock of the News and Observer joins us every Friday. Normally we do it at 1.15, but let's do it earlier because why not? We have a little bit of breaking news. Dennis, you want to play the breaking news sounder? I saw it on Twitter. Actually, Dennis saw it on Twitter and told me, and then I saw it on Twitter, and then I retweeted it. Caleb Love to Michigan. So, your thoughts on Caleb Love, Mr. DeCock? No, it's good. I mean, he's, you know, originally from the Midwest, gets him back, you know, into Big Ten country. Obviously, you know, Juwan Howard's had some success there, has had three big transfers, needs to replace some people. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think that'll be good for Caleb Love, and, and uh, that's a, I think that's a pretty good landing spot for him. I, I agree. It is a good landing spot for him. What do you think was the issue for him this year? Because, look, of all the other players, Caleb Love, I, I still believe that Caleb Love was the best pro prospect that they had on that roster last year. He's 6'4", he's got a big frame. If he just developed some consistency in his offense, Caleb Love might be headed to the NBA draft this year. What do you think? The- yeah, and, and, and might have been after last season. I mean, it wouldn't have been out of the – no one would have been shocked if he declared for the draft last year. Look, I, I, Caleb Love is, is obviously going to have a very mixed legacy at North Carolina because he was part of one of the greatest moments in school history. What might have gone down is the greatest shot in school history if they'd gone on to, to beat Kansas. Um, but by the same token – you know, was was heavily criticized by the fan base, especially this year, but also his first two years. Let's not yeah. let's go back to after Roy's last year and everyone talking about how RJ and Caleb and you know he couldn't reach them and Walker Kessler transfers and and those were that was a group that was perceived to be to whatever degree is right or wrong sort of problem children, and then the start of last year everybody was all over Caleb Love and then this year. So you know I think the the problem with Caleb Love is one he's a high volume shooter. Um, some of his shots were not good, but other times the other players on the team, the other players on the court would look to him late in the shot clock and say, well, Caleb will bail us out. And it probably was asked to do too much of that. The problem for me with UNC for the exception of March, April, 2022 was that you had three guys, one forward and two guards who all needed the ball in their hands a lot. And it just, other than that, that magical month where they figured it out and shared the ball and you had a fourth guy in Brady Manick who needed it too. It was just too many ball-dominant players without a distributing point guard to make them all mix. And that just, to me, it was, it was you know, people talk about chemistry and all that stuff. To me, the chemistry was on the court. It was just square pegs and round holes a lot of the time. I think if Caleb Love goes to Michigan, is in a different group, has a point guard, isn't asked to bail his teammates out because they've run terrible offense for 34 seconds, um, I think he could have a really good year and really rebuild his pro prospects. Look, I also think that... Uh... No scar tissue there probably will have a uh, a benefit for Caleb Love as well. A lot of roster turnover, obviously. I don't know how many of the departures are really significant. I think the one that I think should really jump out, is, I mean, other than the guys that Hubert recruited, right, um, the Puff Johnson one uh, is a, is a little bit of a problem for me only because we saw at the end of last year that Puff could have been a major player this year. But whatever, for whatever reason, it didn't work out this year. What do you make of the roster turnover? You know, God, you know I, honestly, if I were on that bench and I 
never played all year, even when the team was struggling. If I'm a Dontra Styles, I'd, I'd be transferring too. Um, I don't, I don't blame that kid at all. And, and I hope he lands somewhere, you know, it'd be awesome. I think if he landed at state, which recruited him very heavily um, out of Kinston. So, you know, there's, there's a lot going on there. I, I don't have a problem with Puff Johnson because he did show signs and then he really never played this year. There were right. spurts, but you know, if you're not going to play your bench and Hubert Davis has made it clear, he, he's going to make K look like he goes deep onto the bench. He's going to play wow. six or seven guys and play the other guys, 32, 35 minutes. Uh, whatever the numbers are, you know, are clearly going to rely heavily on, on a small group of players, you're going to lose guys in the portal. And that's one of the things we've been talking about with the portal is, oh, it's it's unfair to coaches because players don't want to stick around and they're not committed to the team anymore. I, this, this, I, I've never understood that argument. If you're a coach who recruits players and you tell them they're going to play and then you don't play them, that's not their fault. If they want to go somewhere else, that's your fault. You have to adjust. Times have changed. And, you know, Hubert, being a, a new head coach and a younger guy and of this generation, I wouldn't think would have issues with that. But obviously he's made his choices. He had certain guys he liked to play and certain guys he didn't. And for a guy who said that DeMarco Dunn and Dontre Styles were going to have their names in the rafters before it was all over, he never showed a lot of confidence in them when it came to when push came to shove. Yeah, especially with the way a lot of the mainstays had been playing. You know, we went through a stretch where it wasn't just Caleb Love not playing well. A lot of it was R.J. Davis not playing well due to injury a lot, but to never really rely on, you know, Dunn or Nickel or some of the other guys that could have made uh, a little bit more of an impact on this season was curious. There's no question about it. Yeah, and and, and Adam, I'll throw Jalen Washington in there too. The way right. he played at Virginia when Baycott got hurt, I thought, okay, this kid gets it now. We're going to see a lot more of him over the next two months, and he barely played. Yeah, maybe you I, – I, I wondered if you could play both Washington and Baycott together you just know, to, just you know to who, give them some, uh, you know, some other options, some other looks. You know who would have done that? Of course, that of course. Well, uh, that yeah. was the Roy Williams offense, which was the Dean two Smith bigs, offense, two, right? Yep, two bigs, two wings, and a point guard. I mean, play, you know, go high, low from uh, foul line to the block across. Yeah, that's what they did. Uh, to, two post players. Um, what what are your thoughts on what uh, what Duke's roster might look like next year if Filipowski comes back? I mean, it could be pretty good. It's going to be good anyway. Yeah, I think if, if, if Filipowski and Roach come back, which, you know, obviously the fact that it's taken this long indicates there's a chance that I, did, I didn't think, based on the way Filipowski played and the way that scouts raved about him, there's any chance he'd be back. And maybe there still isn't. But if Roach and Filipowski come back with Mitchell, um, with, uh, I'm drawing the blank, the other, the other kid, um, you know, Proctor. That, that's a, yes, thank you. That's a number one preseason team now obviously in this area that carries a bit of a mark of the beast yeah. at this point but um that to me is a team that that will will come in with legitimate legitimate thoughts of challenging for a national title and with a head start because guys like filipowski won't have that time to adjust they will walk in as sophomores and a sophomore these days and a player that talented is like a senior um you know now will they miss Derek lively absolutely i mean i think i tweeted this when he announced he was going pro Derek Lively is going to get drafted a lot higher than a lot of these so-called experts think. And I don't mean experts like draft experts. I mean like fans because the NBA scouts that I talked to said there are not guys his size who could defend one through five. Right. And honestly, we're not looking for a center who can post up and score. We're looking for a center who can roll to the rim and dunk and guard one to five. 
So I, I you know, he he's gonna he could be on a lottery pick, but some really good team is gonna get him in the first round, and he's gonna make a good team better. Yeah, I actually talked to an NBA scout at the ACC tournament, who told me that based on what he had seen of Derek Lively, which was basically no offense, that he still thought he would be a first round pick, but it would be back half of the first round. He did not yeah, think I, he did not think that Kyle Filipowski would be a first round pick. Because there is not, he has not demonstrated athleticism. He's got tons of skill, uh, but he thought that he was a second-round pick, uh, and he actually thought he would return to school anyway, in spite of the fact that he had said such a good year. But Jay Lucas said something about a week and a half ago, the assistant coach at Duke, that he thinks that the NIL and that industry is going to have a lot of guys come back for a second year that wouldn't have all, all otherwise done so that benefits the college game oh 100 percent. and i've been saying that back when people three years ago when people were saying nil is going to be the end of the world and i've written this and was writing it back then if there had been nil in 2019 zion williamson would have come back for a sophomore year yep. i believe that so deep in my heart because he loved playing at duke he loved being at duke he did not necessarily was not necessarily all that jazzed up about playing for the Pelicans. Zion Williamson, as a sophomore, would have made a gazillion dollars. Yep. He would have had his own Nike shoe. He would have sold jerseys. He would have had, he would have been like Michael Jordan in 1986, but in college at Duke. I mean, he would have made Armando Baycott's tax bracket look pathetic. <laughs> and Armando Baycott's done just fine for himself. Another example of a guy who's going to make more money in college than the pros. You know, the example I use all the time, Adam, it wasn't a freshman coming back, but it was an older player who went pro just because he was out of options and wanted to make some money. Imagine NC State's team in 2016 with Trevor Lacey. Right. Trevor Lacey would have made a ton of money to come back, more than he got playing in the Afghanistan League or whatever, and he would have been an incredible college player, maybe ACC Player of the Year, you know, just an incredible scorer, great clutch shooter, Zion coming back. Like, these are the doors that are open now. It's great for the game. Yeah. And people are like, oh, NIL on the transfer portal. They're ruining the game. Look, if you don't want your players to transfer, treat them better. You're going to lose some anyway, but you were before. And two, NIL creates opportunities for players to stay in college and do okay for themselves. It's great for the college game. And you know the other thing I've come around on, Adam? I think one and done is actually good for the college game, especially in the NIL era. Because if you're going to make these guys play, they may decide to stick around for a second year. And why is it so bad to have talented players in the college game, even if they're only there for one year? Are you telling me we're not better off for having a year of Zion or even a year of Cole Anthony, even though it didn't go that well? So anyway, look, man, I've been pro-NIL before people knew what it stood for. I've been pro-transfer portal before coaches started complaining about it. The world changes. It's good for athletes. It's good for fans, despite the roster turnover. It's still good for fans because there's more talent around, which means better basketball. Anyway, preaching to the choir, man. I've been saying this for so long. It's ridiculous. Why would anybody complain about having more talent in your game? Even though I fundamentally believe it's unfair to tell an 18 year old kid that he can't go pro. I fundamentally unfair. You should be able to do that. You should be able to make that mistake. Even if we're saying, well, these yeah, kids are, no, making, I, you should be able to I do that. I agree with that. I'm just pushing back on right. the idea that one and done is bad. Oh, it's great. No, game. it's great for the kind Anytime these kids have to play in college, basically been told, you, you're not welcome here, so you have to go there. Now, there are still some other options. G League Ignite is an option. Uh, Overtime Elite is an option. There, there are You can play overseas. Guys have done that. Uh, most of them still go to college. And great players in the college game, 
I think are still uh, we we have to embrace that and love it because we otherwise wouldn't get a chance to see them. We got one minute left. Should we celebrate? How about the Seattle Kraken making the playoffs? I, I'm really happy that Ron Francis. It's it's like uh, Haley's comedy makes the playoffs every 21 years. Wow. Wow. Can you imagine they? I, I don't. Did they make a player for player trade this year? No, he still hasn't. I don't think. I think the one you came up with was Josh Juris for Greg McKeg, which yeah. is not exactly Gretzky for. But Kenny Greg McKeg was a big pieces. part of the Hurricanes' second half in yeah, twenty eighteen. Nobody saw it coming in in back in the day. Uh, no, I mean, look. Honestly, I'm actually surprised that he's gotten them in in their second year because his mo in Carolina was such a slow, cautious. Right timid build that I really thought it would be four or five years. I thought the next GM in Seattle was going to be the guy who walked in, found a team full of prospects, you know, kind of like, kind of like Don Waddell, like, Hey, you know, we're all loaded here. We just got to, you know, get us over the top with some big trades, which is the first, you know, when Don Waddell was given the keys and the first thing they did was the Hamilton trade at the draft. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big deal, and that put him over the top and got him into the playoffs. So no those are the kind of moves I thought the next GM in Seattle would have to make. But I think if you if you if you want to give Ron Francis some credit, he learned from his first year there, um, and he made some tweaks and changes to the way that their roster was constructed, and they've played really well. And you know, obviously goaltending helps. But happy for John Forslund that he yes. call around to the playoffs, and uh, you know, um, yeah, give give Ron Francis some credit. He he did make some adjustments and. You know, it's not Vegas. Nobody's ever going to be Vegas again, but getting an expansion team to the playoffs in the second year, that that is an accomplishment, no matter how much, you know, we may be sarcastic or, or joking about it. Getting an expansion team in the playoffs in year two, uh, even post-Vegas, is, is still something that, you know, that's still a pretty good achievement. And he, he, he does deserve credit for that. There's no question. No qu- he drafted Matty Beneers, too, and Matty Beneers is going to win the uh, rookie pick. of the year. Great pick. Uh, Luke DeCock, you're a great pick as well. At Luke DeCock on Twitter, man. I'll talk to you next week. All right, A.G. Adam Gold in studio with my man, Coach Pete Deruta, Capital Financial Advisory Group. I was on your website, and I love the term financial termites because there are always things eating at your money that you can't see. So you don't want financial termites. Termites in the financial world are risk, fees, unnecessary commissions. All the bad things that we see and we hear about on TV are happening many times inside your portfolio you don't see. So you need a financial exterminator? Well, for the next 10 of you to call, we'll put together for you your very own total retirement plan at no cost. Call 888-843-0013. Or text Adam to 600-700. Adam Gold is a paid spokesman. Investment advisory services offered by Capital Financial Advisory Group, a North Carolina registered investment advisor. Dennis is officiating a wedding today. Yeah, I got my stripes on and everything. Uh, you know, you could. You could take an online course and do that. Yeah, I know. Anybody this could do it. kind of interesting. Anybody could do it. It'd be a great uh, side hustle, wouldn't it? I guess it could be. I should do that. Why not? I should do that. What a side hustle that would be. I could do it like uh, like the bishop in, uh, what was it? Uh, Caddyshack? Uh, no, like History of the World. Oh, okay. No, no, no not History of the World. Uh, Princess Bride. Oh, yeah, yeah, True yeah. love. Do you, remember, you know, do you remember that? I do. Love that. I actually sent that as a gif uh, to uh, our friend Mike Salarte from, News, uh, from Spectrum News in Charlotte. Twoo, love. He he tweeted to me uh, when the uh, the release went out about me being here for 25 years, mm-hmm. which 23, probably too long for some people. Um, 
and he's like, "What? One of my favorite, uh, you know, people to work with." Blah blah. And I just, I just sent him that because he deserved he deserved that kind of a laugh uh, on a Wednesday. Uh, all right, so we do this every week. We only have time for one, but it's a good one. In the mention. You're talking to me? Well, who the hell else are you talking to? Talking to me? Well, I'm the only one here. So Tuesday, Dennis, you might be aware of this. Okay. Tuesday, the Carolina Carolina Hurricanes won a hockey game in overtime. Beat the Ottawa Center. That's right, they did. Martin Natchez scored. It was at the end of what I thought was, not the end, but 40 seconds left, in what I thought was pretty well-played overtime period for Carolina. Had the puck for most of it, and I thought they valued possessions in the overtime. The only two times I would uh, have any questions about what they were doing, it was really Ajo and Natchez each took shifts that were too long, and where they should have otherwise gotten the puck, they were gassed Yeah, and had to get off the ice. But other than that, I thought the Hurricanes did exactly what you're supposed to do. You wait for your chance. Jarvis left the puck for Natchez in the slot, in the high slot, and he beat the goaltender. Was it uh, left posted in? Actually, left posted. It looked like it might have hit the back bar. Anyway, great overtime. So I tweet out, Natchez. And so, Socks and Cubs on Twitter. Imagine if we started two forwards and a D-man to start overtime. These skill players would be getting way more opportunities in overtime. Like, this is after a win. Now, this person has complained to me about this before and has demanded that I ask the head coach about why he starts Stahl, Slavin, and Burns. We know why he starts Stahl. Face-off. Win the face-off, and then he gets off the ice for Aja. Okay? But this, to this person... The entire overtime is corrupted because of these three starters. So I said, okay, so let me get this straight. You want me to ask the head coach why he starts those three players. So here's my question to Rod Brindamore. Hey, Rod, tell me why you start one forward and 2D in the overtime. And his response will be, are you asking me why I'm starting? Essentially, it's it's about Ajo coming on the ice, right? Mm-hmm. Why I'm starting two of my three best offensive player and arguably the best skating defenseman east of Kale McCarr? Are you asking me that? Because that would be the answer if I were Rod Brindamore. That's the answer I would give you. Yeah. Brent Burns is one of Carolina's three best offensive players, especially with room to skate. He used to play forward, too. He is a forward, essentially, when we get to overtime. Why Why is this a foreign concept to people? Brent Burns is a dangerous player in overtime. It's like Dougie Hamilton. Yeah. Why would you complain about Dougie Hamilton being on the ice in an overtime situation? Because you're, you're you're dumb if you do. And the notion is that this is what Carolina just does in the overtime. Well, they're always got 2D. No, they don't. So I just didn't understand this. He's telling me to do my job. Ask the head coach. First of all, I've talked to the head coach about it. On top of the fact that I know what he does. He also complained that my premise that the Hurricanes had uh, two of the uh, defensemen were the two of the three best skaters on the team, which I didn't say to him, was flawed. And I'm like, well, I didn't say that, but they're two of the five best skaters on the team. Yeah. Who are the best skaters on the Hurricanes? Ajo, Natchez, Burns, 
Slavin, Jarvis. Who's a better? Did they have better skaters than that? Gosta Spare, maybe. He's may, a pretty may, solid no, skater. Got, but he's a defenseman. Yeah, Jalen Chatfield, really good skater. Everybody's got their notions that they know better than the guy getting paid not enough money to be the best head coach in the league. Come on, guys. And it was a win. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.